Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No. These are the other stories. <laughs> Gambarga. Written by Ben Errington. Narrated by Josh Curran. The Gambaga Witch Camp is a segregated community within the Gambaga Township in the northern region of Ghana. It was established in the 18th century to accommodate alleged witches who were banished from their communities, usually women accused of awful crimes that they were very often not guilty of. Housing around 100 or so women in around 25 unplumbed huts, many of the residents of such settlements are widows and it is often thought that relatives had accused them of witchcraft in order to take control of their husband's possessions. Other old women in the camp have been accused of using black magic to cause misfortunes in their community. Many of the women are also mentally ill, a little understood problem in Ghana. In Gambaga, the women are given protection by the local chieftain and in return, pay him and work in his fields. While the chief profits from the presence of the outcasts, he also offers protection. Holly Shaw found it difficult to gain information on the camp from many of the reformed women that she found in surrounding areas. Her many years of journalism had taken her all over the world, in particular, Africa, a diverse and complicated culture that took her a long time to understand. She had learned a great deal about Ghana, and the country's long and secretive relationship with witchcraft from her interpreter and guide, a well-mannered local man named Kwabena. This early evening, Kwabena was serving as both driver and reassuring figure 
as the pair made their way into the township along a dusty roadway that whipped up plumes of white in the hot, dry air. We aren't far, Kwabena said, but Holly struggled to hear him over the roar of the 4x4's engine. Holly's reason for reaching the destination wasn't to find out more about the camp, as many journalists did when faced with the bizarre nature of the subject matter. Nor was it to question the motivation of the community's chief, a man who had been rumoured to use his power over the vulnerable women to a sometimes sickening degree. Taking advantage of their shortcomings, while refusing to improve their living conditions and seek their reintegration back into the villages they had been banished from. It was to meet and hear the story of Ateya, a young blind woman who suffered from albinism, a congenital disorder characterised by the complete or partial absence of pigment in the skin, hair and eyes. Merely weeks ago, she had been accused of poisoning seven members of her family and fleeing into the wilderness. She had been pursued by a group of men who had beat her and dragged her back to her home, only to be told by the elders that she was to be exiled and taken to Gambaga. As of yet, Atayer hadn't been given an outlet to tell her story and had remained silent since she took up residence in one of the huts, along with nearly a dozen other women, according to Kwabina. However, in the days that followed her arrival, her silence and refusal to tend the chieftain's fields had caused great anger amongst the other women, who had abandoned their home in the same hut in order to leave her to her solitude. But Kwabina had heard something different from a source within the village. He had heard that the other women were just scared of her. It's here, Kwabena said, the car bumping and causing Holly to steady herself with both hands on the overhead support. The dust around the vehicle began to settle as the car struggled up a hill towards the settlement, the tops of the huts appearing like molehills out of the ground as they grew closer. Many of the residents who were standing around stopped what they were doing and watched the 4x4 enter Gambaga, eyes full of uncertainty, despite the fact that Holly had heard that visitors to the community were very common. As Kwabina stopped the vehicle and shut off the engine, more and more women began to walk over to where the car had settled. Some of them were dressed in bright colours with garish patterns, while others appeared to be dressed in far more subdued greys and browns, clothes that looked large and as if they had been hand-me-downs from other, possibly male, residents of Gambaga. The huts were small and compact, all well-built but situated very close together, the edges of their thatched roofs almost touching. The community seemed to be very busy and full of commotion, loud voices and songs coming from every corner, and people tending to various jobs and leisure activities as far as the eye could see. It looked, as far as Holly could tell, like any other normal Ghanan village would. We will wait here to be greeted, said Kwabena as he climbed out of the car, nodding at Holly to do the same. She caught a glimpse of herself in the rearview mirror as she did, her blonde hair sticking to her forehead 
with sweat and her pale complexion dotted with grime from the journey. She unwrapped the black bandana from the back of her head and removed it. Holly took her backpack from the back seat of the 4x4 as she saw a group of men approach, one of them waving his arms wildly and shouting something that she couldn't understand. His tall, red headdress suggested that he was the chieftain, but many of the elders who surrounded him were also dressed in a way that could suggest that they had a great amount of authority. Guabana began to approach them, his words appearing to calm the chief and halt the men who surrounded him. Holly placed her backpack on one shoulder and surveyed the surroundings, noticing the women gathering in greater numbers to look at the visitors. Guabana was gesturing for Holly to walk over towards where he was speaking to the elders, and several of the women gathered around her, almost urging her to greet the chieftain. Holly knew none of the local language, which she felt slightly embarrassed about, but managed to come across as the friendly, non-invasive force that she wanted to. She was, after all, just a journalist looking for an interesting story to tell. As Holly got closer, she noticed that the chieftain didn't make eye contact with her, despite Kwabena's clear introductions, his hands pointing in her direction. The chief was tall and frail, although Holly could imagine that he could be quite the imposing person when he needed to be. He towered over the other elders, which Holly thought was strange. As Kwabena appeared to be thanking them, they turned and walked away, several of the elders saying something to Holly, but most of them returning to their huts in silence. The chieftain, however, looked back and directly at Holly for several agonizing seconds. They said, welcome to us both, Guabina added, wiping the sweat from his brow. Holly noticed that he hadn't appeared to be struggling with the heat before his exchange with the chief. Really? Holly asked. Yes, they are happy for us to speak to Ataya, Guabina added. Or try to, at least. Guabina gave Holly a reassuring hand on her shoulder as he began to unload some of his gear from the 4x4. They didn't seem overly pleased to see us, Holly said. Quabena laughed. You could say that, he said. As I explained before, they can be wary of outsiders. A lot of visitors to the township, especially journalists, are very cynical of Gambaga's way of life. Holly looked around to notice that most of the women were dispersing, but some of them continued to watch from afar. We have been asked not to speak to any of the other women, Quabena said. I think it is best that we make quick work of our time with Ataya and be on our way before we cause too much of a disturbance. Holly nodded. Well, Kwabena asked, are you ready? Ataya's hut is this way. Holly followed Kwabena closely as the low sun of the evening washed the village in a burnt orange, something that made the community look like a sanctuary rather than a place that harboured such darkness. Ataya's hut was at the edge of the township the entrance to which was shrouded in a threadbed cloth that acted as a makeshift door. Kwabina signalled for Holly to wait behind as he entered, talking softly without response. As Holly turned around, she noticed that five or six women who were watching the events unfold with unflinching eyes had followed them. Kwabina ducked out of Ataya's hut and prompted Holly to join him inside. 
It took several moments for Holly's eyes to adjust to the darkness, where she saw Atea sitting in the middle of the floor. A blanket bunched around her shoulders. Holly walked around the woman to look at Atea's face, her white, milky eyes glowing in the gloom. Her skin looked silver in this low light, and her hair was covered with a hood, while the only other part of her skin that was visible was her long, slender fingers, which tapped on the ground in front of her. I'll try my best to translate your words, Kwabina said, sitting down close by, but I will warn you, try not to upset her. Holly nodded in understanding and took a seat on the floor, merely feet from Atea, who seemed not to move a muscle. It was as if she was a living statue. After greeting Atea and running through many of the questions she had jotted down in her notepad, some crossed out the night before as they looked utterly ridiculous. Standard questions about Atea's general well-being and health, Holly still couldn't coax a word out of her. She's either still in shock, Kwabina pondered, or this is an elaborate defense mechanism. Holly looked at her interpreter with consideration. This place is a hellhole for some. Holly noticed that some of the women who had been watching her outside were now poking their heads into the hut. The presence of the visitors seemed to quell their alleged fear of Atea. Ask her if she poisoned her family, Holly said. Kwabena shook his head in protest. I don't think that is wise. Holly shuffled closer to Atea. We've come all this way, Kwabena, she said. We have to hear her story. The other women were talking amongst themselves. Kwabena took a deep breath and began to speak, although Holly was unsure if he was wording the question exactly how she wanted to. Suddenly, Atia's mouth opened wide, revealing discoloured teeth. A low gurgle was emitting from her. I told you, Kwabena said. She's not well, Holly. This isn't right. Holly leaned closer still, and as she did, Atea's hand reached out and grabbed Holly's wrist. She was squeezing hard, but it didn't cause her any pain. Then, out of nowhere, Atea spoke, but Holly could understand every word, even though the language didn't sound like the English she had come to know. There is poison within me, Atea said, her voice nearly a whisper. There is poison within all of us. Holly bit her lip. Atea's tongue was lolling up and down. I did not kill my family, Atea added. But the poison within me did. Holly looked up to see the women at the doorway were laughing now, which sent an odd chill up her spine. As she turned to Kwabina, he was gone. It hungers for blood, Atea sneered. I cannot satisfy it, no matter how hard I try. Holly looked up at Atea to see that her eyes had begun to glow a deep red. She tried to pull away, but the woman's grip tightened even more. I am cursed, a soul trapped within a vessel, Atea said, her voice growing louder. A vessel of evil. The women were laughing more as Holly looked up at them, desperate to ask for help, 
but words couldn't form within her mouth. Their eyes were glowing red too. Atia removed her robes and began to stand. Her body revealed as an emaciated form covered in hair that resembled thick white fur. Her head reached the ceiling of the hut, her height beyond that of a normal adult female. Her bare chest was covered in various unusual symbols that Holly didn't recognize. Raised scars that had been carved into Ataya's skin. The wall of the hut began to crumble, as Holly's consciousness did the same. Her last thought, one of hope, as she watched Ataya cackle with otherworldly animal sounds. She hoped it was just a nightmare that she would awake from soon enough. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Gambaga was written by Ben Errington, narrated by Josh Curran, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Kevin MacLeod and Tom Robson. So you like short stories told in the medium of audio, eh? Well, come here, come a little closer. We've got something to show you. Something secret. Something special. we got stories you ain't heard before because these aren't the stories your mother used to tell you, nor are they the stories that we tell you, at least in this RSS feed. These are the other other stories so once a month we put out a secret exclusive other story on our patreon feed and it's only available for our patrons that's over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver so if you want to get in a piece on that action head over to patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and pledge from as little as one pound until next time 